Hello again, and welcome to Faith, Family, and Politics. I'm your host, Joshua Cummins. We're here in the newly renovated Bullet Studios. Uh, to my left here, we've got the resident heathen. Of course. <laughs> Alan McFarland. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming, sir. And uh, across the table over here in a green shirt, uh, for those audio listeners who don't know that he's got a green shirt on, it's our good friend, Louis Rodriguez. Thank you for having me. And what kind of show are we having today, Louis? A really big show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. And uh, bringing the message this week, we've got a guy returning. He's got the man with the golden voice, Donald Martyr. That's right. That's right. I'm excited. Thanks for coming back, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Are you, you going to talk about the know. texture of his shirt or the texture of his beard? I'm, I'm He's wearing a bristly a, textured a beard. <laughs> bringing the word this week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, he's our he's our resident hope dealer. Yes, that's yes. it. Yes, that's it. Um, but yeah, he Got does fresh have a supply. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a pretty epic beard. Where do you go get it? Because it took you a couple weeks to come back with hope. Well, <laughs> well, there's this little farm in. Oh, we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> he had to dig deep for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know people. All right, I'm yeah. in the process of getting my pilot's license. We'll see what happens by next year. Oh, so are you flying over my house here, Santa? <laughs> Just dropping hope everywhere. That's it. Dropping hope That's everywhere. It. Dropping it. I like it. All right, uh, Don, uh, what's the title of your message, and uh, then you leave some prayer? So uh, the title of my message is Getting Down with the Patriarchy. I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I Take that, ladies. No. That's, no. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever it's worth, yeah, absolutely. It's a little, <laughs> little tongue-in-cheek. I thought it, it yeah. might be kind of fun. Yeah, so. yeah, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Lead us in prayer. All right, absolutely. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come together again and uh, and just discuss your word to get closer to you, Lord God, and to grow closer as uh, uh, as men and women and brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you so much for uh, every opportunity we have to be able to share the love of Jesus and the people's lives around us, Lord. Uh, we do ask that you would have your hand over um, our time together here and that we would be glorifying to you, Lord God, that we would lift you up and that we would just continue to follow in your will, follow in your path. And, uh, Father God, I ask that you would just continue to uh, bless us and keep us and uh, uh, provide for us, Lord God. And we just thank you so much for every opportunity we have. Above all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who laid his life down on a cross, Father God, for the forgiveness of our sin, that we may have everlasting life, Father God, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So um, I was telling Josh, uh, unlike the last couple of times that I've been able to uh, share the word, I, I feel like I'm probably the least prepared, which I feel like might translate into a much better discussion. Uh, so, um, yeah. uh, But to kind of start out, um, anecdotally, I was in Tennessee um, – very recently, like within the last week or two. Sorry about that. And no, it was good. Oh, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. It was a nice five-hour drive. It rained the entire time down, and then I drove back to Lexington that night. And then uh, on the way back home into Indianapolis from Lexington, it was clear skies and like sixty degrees out. It was gorgeous. Um, so uh, I was down in Tennessee with my family, and we were visiting uh, a very good friend of ours that I've known since she was two. Uh, and she has a daughter, and then we we were all celebrating her daughter's one uh, first first birthday, yeah. And uh, was having a really great time, and I got a chance to meet her granddad that I had never met before, uh, and I did not realize that he was um, a pastor. 
which was really cool. So we were sitting on uh, the couch, just kind of uh, Jack John and talking a little bit, and we got to talking about worship music. And he asked me um, what what kind of worship music I led um, in church on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> whether it was mostly hymnals or uh, or hymns, or uh, if it was like contemporary stuff, or kind of where we fell. Uh, and and our church, Garfield Christian Church, we have um, what I like to call a blended worship service. So we do a couple of hymns, and we also do um, contemporary music. So we kind of mix the two uh, because there's there's so much truth uh, ingrained into those old hymns. Like a lot of those hymns were really uh, really strongly based on scripture and on yeah. the word, and um, not to say that modern or um, uh, contemporary Christian worship music isn't grounded in the word, uh, but I think it's way more loosely grounded in the word than, yeah, I agree a, than a hymn would be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's a place for all of it. There's there's an opportunity for all of it to minister and for all of it to have a healing place and a, and a, a place to, uh, what I like to say, overturn that rocky soil and start getting that fertile soil to the top. Uh, so that those seeds can be planted with the word. Uh, so we got to talking. It was really, really cool um, about and and he agreed. He he uh, he loves the old hymns. He loves the contemporary music and things like that. And then he said a phrase. He said, you know, ev- he said um, that uh, he feels like in his church uh, they do a lot of hymns and they have a lot of um, older members. And then you have younger churches that don't do hymns, and they have a lot of younger people, 40 and under. Uh, And he said, every church needs their Abrahams, Isaacs, and Jacobs. Yeah. And that hit so significantly to me because basically what he was saying was you you need those elder leaders in your church. You need those people who are... Uh, not in that elder role yet, but they have grown and matured in their own walk of faith and in their yeah. own walk with Christ. Uh, and then you need those youth because you, you need that whole uh, crescendo and then decrescendo of energy in all parts of a healthy church and a healthy body. Yeah. Uh, and it, it can be very difficult for us um, when we're looking for a new church or something like that, um, especially if we look to our worship time being the highest significance to where we're going to go. Um, I and I that's a another discussion for another time. Certainly, but uh, the basically what I'm trying to get to and and kind of where that brings us into this was him saying that made me immediately realize that that it is very true and in the word throughout Old Testament New Testament throughout it talks about how as a body we need to look to our elders we need to look at uh, you know the word refers to our gray hair our gray hair as a crown of wisdom and how uh, a the sign of the wise is a gray head and things like that and and how uh, as youth we should be energetic you know Paul talks to Timothy a lot in his letters about how how incredible it is that as a young man he grew up with a mother and a grandmother who had all accepted Christ, and these are first-generation Christians, yeah. and how important it is to know for Paul in his heart 
that Timothy was raised up in that kind of a culture and in that kind of a household where you have the wise who have lived a life and have been able to see that change and that deliverance. And then they've been able to then influence their Isaacs, their middle generation, to then do the same thing and to continue to reproduce (coughs) that image. And then you have your Jacobs, who are the young ones who are building a legacy that will move into the future. Uh, And so kind of getting into the message for tonight, um, I just wanted to kind of focus on what that lineage looks like, but where it comes from first. Uh, So out of 1 Chronicles 1, 34, and I'll take it from here because it's in like three or four different areas in the Old yeah. Testament, but it's easiest when you're if you're ever looking for and in a Bible study for uh, chronological order of who begot who. First and Second Chronicles is the best place to do it uh, until you get into the New Testament, obviously. Um, but First and Second Chronicles has the lineages up to the kings and things like that, and it's pretty cool. So, out of First Chronicles, uh, uh, <coughs> chapter one, verse thirty-four. Um, It says, uh, I'm sorry, I think it's verse 28. It says, the sons of Abraham, the sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. And then out of 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it says, uh, these were the sons of Israel, uh, and they were uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are um, uh, the what are called the patriarchy, uh, the original Hebrew patriarchy. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Abraham was the grandfather of Jacob. Now, in the Old Testament, um, and all of these stories are going to be in the book of Genesis, um, as far as their actual lineage, their lives, the things that influenced them, it's all going to be in the book of Genesis and really in the second half, the first half. You talk about Abraham, or you talk about Adam and Eve. You talk about uh, Seth and and Cain and Abel. You talk about Noah and the Great Flood, things like that. And then when you get into the second half, you get a chance to talk about uh, or to learn about the patriarchy: uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is the three most significant figures in the Jewish and the Judeo-Christian religion, uh, because that's where we find our lineage uh, as Christians and as believers. Without Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being the original patriarch and what would eventually through Jacob, who is later named Israel, uh, you gain the 12 tribes of Israel. Through the 12 tribes of Israel, you have the tribe of Levi. Through the tribe of Levi, you then have Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And through Moses, you have the Mosaic Law, which is the Ten Commandments and then the the later um, laws and things like that. And then... When you look at the lineage of Israel, not only do you have Levi, who would later, um, you know, that line would later come to bring Moses, but you have Judah. And Judah is actually, Judah is the fourth son of Israel, the fourth son of Jacob. Uh, But the first son, (laughs) again, definitely uh, go back and and look at, and and we'll have, uh, I'm going to provide all of the, the scripture references and stuff like that. Uh, for Josh, so uh, go back and look. But um, uh, Jacob uh, marries two daughters. He marries uh, the oldest, which I believe is Leah, uh, and then the uh, the second is uh, Rachel. And uh, Joseph and 
you know, the movie, uh, what is, what is the movie, um, with Joseph and, and, uh, Dota Colors? Is that what it's called? I don't know. The Fox animated movie, I can't remember anymore. Some, I don't remember. Anyway. I don't remember. Uh, but, but it, you know, uh, anyway, uh, so Joseph and, uh, Benjamin are the two sons of Jacob's, uh, favored wife, Rachel. But Judah, uh, is the, fourth son of his original wife, Leah. And what's interesting about Judah is Judah is the first son that when Leah has him, immediately praises God for having him. The first three, Simeon, Reuben, and Levi, are all born, and Leah's hope is that through having these each one of these sons that she will gain the affection of her husband. And then it's not until Judah that she seeks the affection of her God, and she praises her God, which I feel like is very interesting because it's through the line of Judah, the son that Leah praised God for, that you find the lineage of Joseph the carpenter, who is Jesus' earthly father, and also King David. And that, you know, King David, King Solomon, that whole line comes from the line of Judah. Um. So it's through those specific two characters, but in general, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we find in the Judeo-Christian and in the Jewish tradition our lineage. And ironically enough, we also find the origin of the Islamic religion because both the Islamic religion and the Israeli religion uh, and then later the Christian religion – all look to Abraham as the original father of their faith. Through Abraham, no, no pressure, none whatsoever. Right. <laughs> um, through Abraham, Abraham had uh, two referred to sons um, in the Old Testament. He had other children as well, as you later learn. Uh, but you had Ishmael, who was actually born before Isaac, and who Abraham thought was going to be. Um, the son that God had promised him, which is not true because the Lord comes to both him and Sarah and says, I'm going to give you a son. And then they have an argument about, wow, you're going to give me a son and I'm 90, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm a hundred years old and you're going to give me a child, that kind of thing. So, you know, they're very mind blown. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're very old in age when uh, God fulfills that promise to give them Isaac. And so before then, I hope he doesn't do that to me when I'm 90. Yeah. Right. (laughs) If if I make it there, I don't don't want to be that. I don't, I don't even want to be very gray and crowned. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, it's through, it's through Ishmael's line, who is the son of Hagar, who is the maidservant of Sarah. Uh, the wife of Abraham, that the Ishmaelites, which would later become um, uh, the the followers of the uh, Islamic religion, uh, find their lineage. And so that's one of the reasons why you see so much conflict between uh, Jews and um, uh, Muslims is because yeah. there's and, – and that's that's not necessarily to say that that's the reason why there is so much like – Vile and violent conflict between the two. Yeah, those cool. come from political. Political. Yeah, that's, yeah, political and dogma a, based. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but but one of the original conflicts, the deep rooted conflict, is is that separation yeah. for those two. So uh, I say all that just to give some general context to where 
we start this journey in Scripture. Uh, so what I want to kind of examine a little bit is some of the characteristics of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they translate into what we should be doing as the body of Christ and as followers. And And I would say that this even applies to those who are not believers that Jesus is the Messiah. I think this directly applies to those who are even Jewish in tradition and Jewish in faith because it is it is the model of the patriarchs. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is the root of the Jewish faith in general. Uh, so I think it's important across the board for all of them. But um, some of the characteristics, when I think of Abraham, some of the characteristics that I have um, for him is, uh, and, and this comes out of uh, Genesis uh, 21 and 22, talks a lot about uh, some of the inner workings of Abraham with his relationship with his wife, with his relationship with his son, with his relationship with his Lord. Um, but uh, Abraham is very loving in his relationship with God. He trusts God beyond measure. Right. Uh, to the point in some situations he, in my opinion, kind of pushes the line a little bit, but he's given that grace to do it. Um, but if you look back on him, you know, he he trusts the Lord enough to know that when the Lord promises, uh, when he's walking up the side of the mountain – uh, with Isaac, and he's been commanded by God, um, by the angel of God, to take Isaac up to the side of the mountain and to lay him on an altar before God and to sacrifice him to his to his God. He does that because he knows that whatever is getting ready to happen is in the hands of his Lord. Yeah. As he's ascending, Isaac asks him, we have the fire, we have the oil, where's... Where's the lamb? Yeah, he's putting two and two together. <laughs> yeah, he says, where's the lamb? And Abraham, may, probably without really, I mean, maybe he maybe he was psychologically in that place, but probably without really even knowing it, he says, the Lord will provide his lamb. What he's not referring to is what's getting ready to happen. What he's referring to is something that would then happen thousands of years later through God's own son. When he yeah. provides that that sacrificial lamb of salvation to hang on a cross to shed the blood of forgiveness for all of us as believers, so he knows that the Lord is going to provide in some way, shape, or form. He doesn't yeah. know how, but I feel like Abraham has peace and conflict and faith and concern over what's getting ready to happen. Uh, and you know, as we know. Through that story, the angel of the Lord stops his hand before he can strike his son with a with a knife and, and kill him, and then provides not a lamb, but a ram to replace his son. I would not be going on walks with my dad anymore. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> He's like, hey, let's go hunting. <laughs> right. No, I'm going that way. Hey, yeah. as, as you get out in front of him, you hear, click, click. <laughs> every single every time, time we leave the house every time dad I'm, i don't trust you anymore I, i'm carrying the fire and the knife next time just so you know but god said i was supposed to do this i don't know about you dad <laughs> just wait till i'm grown and i take right. you hunting dad. that's it that's it you know we're today we're skydiving off the mountain dad <laughs> it's like i forgot to tell you that i named you bambi 
So, um, so the next point um, for the characteristics that I see in Abraham is that he is uh, a loving family man. Uh, it breaks his heart for himself and for Sarah that even though he knows the Lord has promised that he's going to have this this lineage, he's gonna he's going to make nations out of this one man. Um, you know he he. Uh, takes his wife's maidservant, thinking, "Well, I'll have a son with this maidservant, and this will be, this will be my progeny. This will be the legacy that I leave." And the Lord says, "No, that's not what I had planned." Yeah. Uh, and then he has Isaac with Sarah, and what's interesting is that the love that Abraham has for both Ishmael and Isaac, though different, which I think is very true as a parent, you don't treat your kids. Exactly the same because they're not the exact same kid. Yeah. You know, um, my friend Josh Demery, who's hanging out with us, he has a son and a daughter. He doesn't treat his son and his daughter exactly the same. He treats them fairly as a parent for both of them. Yeah. He has the same foundational rules for both of them, but he treats them differently. I have three boys at home. I don't treat any one of them exactly the same as the other because they all have their own characteristics. They all do their own thing. They make their own decisions. They have their own thought processes and things like that. And I see the same characteristic in Abraham. He loves Ishmael. He loves Isaac. Uh, he loves Sarah. He loves his nephew Lot to the point in which he, before before um, Isaac comes, you know, they're traveling together uh, and – they stop and, and they look at their herds and herds and, and all of their people and things following them. And, and Abram, uh, at the time, Abram, uh, looks at Lot and he says, uh, there's too much of us. There's too many of us. We need to <laughs> – let's split up and you decide which direction you want to go and settle there. And I'll decide – I'll go the other way. And Lot takes advantage of the situation and he takes the really nice green pasture land. Uh, yeah. And and then Abram says, okay, that's fine. You and you take your things and you go this way, and I'll take my things and I'll go this way. But he never looks at Abraham. Never looks at it as him being taken advantage of. One because yeah. he has faith in his Lord that his Lord's going to continue to provide right. incredible things for him. Absolutely. And two because he loves Lot enough to say, you know what, that's fine. Like, no offense. Yeah. I'm not even going to take it personally. And and also because later on, when Abraham is visited by three strangers, uh, two of which are uh, the angels that will then eventually go down into the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah when they are destroyed, uh, and and the third, who is the Lord, uh, in a physical form. I'll let, I'll leave that up to your interpretation on who that actually might be. <laughs> right. uh, that, again, another uh, message idea later on, but. Yeah. Um, but he bargains with his Lord as long as he can find five righteous people in Sodom that he won't destroy Sodom. He won't burn it to the ground. And yeah. he agrees. He talks him down from like I – I honestly cannot remember, but I think it's like 500 or something like that, 5,000 yeah. or something. Talks him down to five people, uh, and and the Lord says, you got it. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Well, yeah, well, I would say that it he already happen. knew the outcomes. He's like, sure, whatever, whatever you're he looking does. for. I'll, and it's so interesting. I'll I was just, you. I was just listening <laughs> back to that 
that story not too long ago, and it is so interesting that there's a potential six people. It's Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's two daughters, and Lot's two daughters' fiancés. Six people. The two fiancés don't take him seriously. They don't care. Yeah. Uh, and so then you only you only have four at that point. So the Lord's like, hey, he didn't say four. He said five. Yeah. You know, and, and then they're instructed to leave the town in a hurry and to not turn back and not look back. And Lot's wife turns back, looks back, turns into a pillar of salt, and now it's just three. And then you kind of learn a little bit more about them, and you're like, well, these three aren't really even – Maybe not even the definition of what a righteous person would be to have been saved in that situation or not. But the, the point of the matter yeah, is, Lot went through a lot. He did. He did. He did. <laughs> I'm just yeah. thinking, like, I don't and know. Later how on, of, later on, if you read, so did his daughters. But we won't yeah, get into yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know how great of a cook his wife was, but she definitely <laughs> added flavor to food after the fact. That's a fact. That is a fact. She was one salty lady. So that was the joke I was going to say, and he got there uh, first. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Again, I say all of that uh, to just examine some of those characteristics. Now, uh, the other thing that uh, Abraham was uh, was a deceiver. Uh, you know, with every good, there is bad. Uh, and and one of the things that he uh, does when he's young uh, is he's afraid going into the kingdom of, of this king that if, his, if the king or his soldiers see he and Sarah, uh, Sarah is so beautiful that they'll – Kill him, take her away, and and he'll be dead, and you know she'll be in the hands of someone else. So then he convinces them that it's his sister, uh, and that almost turns out to be very bad for the king and his men, and so, and and that actually carries down through their family line. Uh, Isaac does literally the same thing um, with Rebecca. Uh, which is very strange because their love story is incredible, and and their love story is actually the longest like love story in scripture. Uh, it fo- there there most of Isaac and Rebecca's story is focused on how much they love one another and how that evolves in in their lives, uh, and then Jacob deceives his brother by taking his. Um, uh, his rights as, a, as the firstborn, and then he deceives his father uh, by by taking his blessing. So, what are you gonna say, Alex? Uh, we were laughing at uh, Josh's hard exit when he when he oh, went out yeah. of the yeah, yeah. he um, bang, no, bang, bang, yeah. If, bang, no, no, if anyone's some, not Alan's used to the something. top of my stairs, they hit the pots and pans <laughs> that are at the top of the stairs. But Alan, <laughs> I do it all the time. What I just learned. <laughs> oh no, what I just learned. Was why the Bible is so strong in Appalachia. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, the Bible is strong in Appalachia. Sister wives. <laughs> anyway, uh, and when, I know I don't have. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. When you interpret her as turning into salt, yeah, the Catholic interprets it her turning into a stone. Oh, okay, okay. So way. she's a salt lick. <laughs> that's the way they interpret it to me when I was going to Catholic school. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that's still very interesting. I mean, just the idea that because she was not obedient to what she was told to do, that, you know, the Lord basically – The Lord got salty. He got real salty. <laughs> well, um, I, was, I was thinking about it too. Like the, the idea that she turned as a pillar of salt was like um, 
in, in my mind, I was like, man, the 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 level, the the heat from the fire must have been on like nuclear level. Because yeah, I mean, uh, but here's it, but here's what's so interesting uh, is when you see a nuclear blast, it continues to spread. Right. But it was only localized to very well contained yeah. a specific area because if they're all running together and she's the one who turns around and then immediately turns to salt, I mean. From what at least from what it says to me, Lot doesn't turn around to check on her. His daughters didn't because they would have done the same thing, right? Yeah. So they're all running together, and then all of a sudden she's no longer there. Yeah, because she she just stops and yeah. <laughs> turns. Yeah, so she yeah, just, she's just standing mean. there. Yeah, yeah, she's standing there looking back, and they they're like they're not even going like where'd mom go? They're just <laughs> yeah, they're just running. <laughs> Look. They're just running. Yeah. So um, I know that we're getting really, really close on time, and there's a lot more that I could share, but I think that uh, really what I want to focus on just in the last couple of minutes is as we are part of the body of Christ, and even if not, again, in the body of Christ, but in if we are still within that family and relationship with God, there is a level of... Um, there's a level of leadership, there's a level of compassion that we should be having on one another. If we're Abrahams in people's lives, if we're grandfathers, or even if we're not elders, if we're just in an, if we're just in that level of veteran knowledge with other people, then we need to share that knowledge and that wisdom that we have. And then as people who, you know, I feel like a lot of us are kind of in that Isaac spot in our lives where yeah, we're say most of us would, yeah, would be there. Yeah. We have we have youths in our lives that we want to positively influence and then we have elders in our lives that want to continue to positively influence us. Uh, and I think that that's very true for um, a lot of us. And I I think that what's so important to remember is that eventually we will be Abrahams. And eventually our Jacobs will be Isaacs. And if we aren't taking the time to sow into them seed that will turn into good fruit, then eventually what we're raising is rotten. You know, it, using that analogy, what we're what we're raising is is rotten produce. <clears throat> we're we're raising people who are going to feel entitled. They're going to feel like because they don't get a chance to express everything in anything about themselves that they are being overlooked, uh, that they find value in things that they can identify with. Yeah. They, you know, this, this is, is sounding really familiar. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like so we, we, we live in a generation. I'm not your Jacob. <laughs> not your Jacob. You better stop looking at me no. like that. Uh, he said it. No, um, no, I was trying to look at the camera. You just happened to look back at me yeah, at the same time. It's those eyes. No, it's the eyelashes really. <laughs> So anyway, that's that's. I mean, you are trouble, but that's the whole. Right. Other, that's a whole Carry other. On. It's a whole other episode. <laughs> but that's that's you know the broad stroke and and the reason why it it hit so significantly for me was just the idea that that we have an opportunity as as a people, as a nation, as a world, however you want to look at it, whether it's localized or widespread, that we have an opportunity to be a significant legacy builder for other people. Yeah. And we also have the opportunity to allow that legacy to be built in us from people who are 
older and wiser and more experienced. And that's in, in all aspects of life, whether we're working with mechanics and we want to learn something about the equipment that we're selling to people or we work in a you know an IT office and there's a guy that's been a programmer for 30 years and, and you want to learn something from them. Or if you are the guy who has been the programmer for 30 years and you want to train the people that are coming in for the first time up and, and teaching them the value in what they're doing and and once they find that value, being able to help them understand that they're contributing to the legacy of whomever's coming next. Yeah. You know, that is that is a responsibility that we have and that we should be taking up. And I think that in a lot of ways we have we have removed ourselves enough from that that it's starting to show. But that doesn't mean it's gone. That just means that we have an uphill battle to wage yeah. in order to get back to that to that point where it looks like we're actually contributing to one another and we're actually, you know, coming together and, and building off of that for whatever is next. So, yeah. Well, um, that goes back to a message that I had uh, a few weeks back where I talked about investing in people. It's one of my <coughs> markers, motto, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. Invest in people. Uh, invest in young people for sure because, like you said, they are the future. But um, a lot of the young people, when you start describing – uh, all the things that were Alan thought I was picking on him, but it wasn't, it wasn't about him at all. Although he liked to think that not it's always about, about you, him. Alan. Um, not <laughs> it's not always about me. Not it's always. Not. I'm glad you know that now. But it should be. I've accepted that. <laughs> thank you, Don. <laughs> Welcome to class. No. <laughs> right. But um, all those things you were describing about like entitlement and um, and, and thinking that they identify a certain way mm-hmm. and all this. It's like uh, this TikTok generation that they're saying now. It's yeah. just and these kids are falling into these tropes of. Uh, of just pure stupidity. It's just, be just yeah. forthright with it. I mean, it's just pure stupidity because the parents are just going, yeah, it's okay. Just be on your phone for hours and hours and be on YouTube and be on this right. or that. And don't go back and at least check in on them and say, hey, well, what are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you, you know, dancing for? I mean, what is this right. thing that you're doing? Right. Yeah. I know Alan's a, a good parent. I've, I've watched him take care of his daughter week in, week out when she brings – yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just listening to you. And it's like the verbiage you're using. I just, I just picture you like shaking a walking stick at some kid. <laughs> Get off your TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> when I was a child, well, you know, they, the only thing to TikTok was my click clock. And the only thing, only time we danced were when fire ants got on our pants. <laughs> well, we watched programs. We watched programs. That's nice a callback to last week. I never <laughs> messed with Pat Ball and your stories. <laughs> that's also to show you how powerful God is. Yeah. He used water to get rid of the bad people. Then he used fire yeah. to get rid of all the bad people. Is it going to be nuclear now? Is that the question? Um, well, I think he promises to consume the earth with fire the next time. Am I right? That's, that is true. So, I mean, fire, maybe. You know, fire, nuclear, I mean, yeah. yeah. I got a kitchen full of popcorn. Let's do this. But that's the way. That's the way I was taught in Catholic. He used water, yeah. then he used fire. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're on the money. Yeah, yeah. Book of Revelations talks all about fire consuming. I think it's is it two thirds of the earth, something like that. I don't remember exactly, but. but and to go into the the family portion here, and I think it's a pretty good place to to, to step over yeah. into it, but. Uh, um, the idea that we were talking about a patriarchy, it just makes me think about my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think definitely when he's here, yes, he's, he's the tables 
Abraham. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, very much. And so I guess that puts me at Isaac. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't I don't have any children, but I got nieces and nephews. Yeah, so journey. Yeah, I got my journey, but she's yeah. <laughs> I'm not exactly going to be leading a dog to heaven, yeah, you know. Yes, um, I understand that. Yeah, but uh, I do have nieces and nephews, and plenty yeah. of them. Um, I'm a great uncle as well. So. Um, great uncle. Uh, that's or what I was just saying. Uncle. Where are yeah. we going? Is there a Both. hyphen there? Oh, I would like okay. to thank. I would okay. like to thank. Uh, now I would leave them to comment on the. Uh, a yeah, podcast yeah, for yeah. sure to, to say that, but <laughs> I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think I'm a great uncle. Okay. Uh, but I am also a great uncle uh, in that uh, lineage type gotcha. of thing. So, uh, yeah, I get to be somewhat of an Abraham to them at that yeah, point. There you go. Um, Shaking your, your stick at him. <laughs> get off my lawn. No. <laughs> you invited us over. We listen to music on plastic boxes. <laughs> <laughs> there were discs inside. We had something called Bass Boost. <laughs> Have you ever seen a disc man? <laughs> you couldn't just recharge your device. You had to right. put batteries in it. You sneeze, you had to wait 10 seconds to hear the music. Right. It's, oh no, no. Hold it still. <laughs> or if you're listening on, on your bus on the way to school, it hit the little boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mom, Uncle Josh is being weird again. <laughs> That's probably more often than not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just being able to teach them things and, and instill those uh, those things that I grew up with, like with my grandpa and my dad, um, my well, particularly my my dad's dad, because um, he uh, he's the patriarch of um, our family. Like mm-hmm. my, when when everybody gets together on my dad's side of the family, grandpa sits at the head of the table, and everybody kind of just. When he talks, we all sit and listen, and yeah. he's got a lot of wisdom to impart. He's set me straight quite a few times. Yeah. Um, I still you got, become a Jacob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> real quick. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he'll line me up real quick. But, uh, um, yeah, having my dad around um, and talking about stepfathers, um, it's amazing to have someone who come into your life and accept you as, as their own child and then – Complete the family, like mm. having a loving mother, mother and father at home, and having this family unit. Not, not everybody gets that, and right. I got that because trying not to tear up here, but <laughs> I got that because he came into our lives and um, became the head of household and became our yeah. our patriarch and and uh, brought my brother and I up and treated us as his own. So yeah, can't say enough about it. Um, Which I think is great. I mean to. You know, to his credit, I think that a lot of a lot of people in general are kind of afraid of that scenario, like walking into a family that's already an established family, and you're trying to put yourself into an authoritative figure. And it's like, where do you find the middle ground in that? Where do you, you know, you don't want to be, you're not, I mean, to an extent, you're replacing somebody, but you're also not, you're taking someone's spot that's not there but you're not necessarily yeah. replacing that specific person. You know what I mean? Like like having that relationship is important when you're trying to also be a functional part of that family, but you're also not saying, you know, well, this person doesn't exist anymore because I'm here. Like yeah. That, you know, that's not the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is I'm here because I want to do the job that's not getting done in this household scenario or what happened, you know, whatever that looks like. Right. I think what made him uh, effective as a, as a stepfather and coming into the picture is because 
He showed us that he loved our mother first. Yeah. He showed he showed us that. Uh, and so not to say that it wasn't a bumpy road because, like, it's still you still have this, like, uh, you know, at the beginning because he came in uh, as dad when I was six. So I've already oh, okay. had this, you know, yeah. idea of how things should be. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I had my younger brother there. But, like, in, in my mind as a kid, I was, like, me and mom against the world type of thing. I don't know why that was. It, it's just, I guess it's just a kid's mentality. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But then, uh, yeah, he showed us that he loved mom first, and so it's like, well, anybody that loves mom like that and treats her right, well, then we have to, we ought to listen, we ought to hear more right. what he has to say. And I'm, I'm glad that he, he came in and, yeah, um, and raised us, and yeah, and, and I think he did a pretty good job. Um, well, with me at least, I don't know, I can't see much about my brother. We'll have to have him on the show to explain more how he feels about it. There you go. <laughs> but I think, I think that, uh, I think he loves uh, our father just as much as I do. So. I feel kind of jealous. <laughs> I never had that. Never had a father. My stepfather was no good, so I never had nobody to stand up. Well, it sounds like Gary's a good one. I mean, you just talk, you have a conversation, yeah, yeah. see Gary who'll, who'll bring you in. Yeah, I Gary, Gary, yeah. Gary can be your dad. Gary. <laughs> my dad. dad. Oh. <laughs> I guess you're just always calling him Pop like I do, I guess. There you <laughs> I go. Think about it. <laughs> but I never had nobody to show me anything on religion and stuff. It's what I learned in Catholic school. And I was a bad boy all the time in Catholic school. I used to put, put scumbags in the nun's books when she walked in, opened them up. Ah. used to turn over her flowers. I was a bad, bad boy. Had no religion. So what I hear about you, I'm glad about that you had a good relationship but i never had that well and thank god that you and i became friends so yes we became friends so we could we could isaac it up together right We're like brothers now <laughs> yeah but so i'm not gonna look at you as an isaac yet not not as an isaac huh you don't not want as to, an abraham not as an abraham no definitely i don't want to put be, be your abraham <laughs> that would look like a benjamin button situation there louis <laughs> age difference <laughs> for sure but i think we're fellow isaacs yeah, yeah. I mean, although you you bring, you bring a lot of wisdom to the table, a lot of times I, I'm I'm blown away with some of the things that you've brought up, uh, not only on the mic but off the microphone. Uh, so I truly enjoy having you around, not, not only as a friend but as a brother. That's what I learned in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a good man. Uh, so uh, and any any kid out there that that uh, you father would be lucky to have you back in their life. And I, I know you've talked about having your kids in your life. And that's why I wanted to bring it. Father, so that was I then, and this is now. That's right. And, and that's right. You are truly someone different now. And for if any of them are watching or happen to catch this, we love having him around, don't we, Alan? Absolutely. And I mean, hundred percent. He's a great, <laughs> not only a great brother, but a great father figure. He gives us a lot of good uh, life advice, and so you're well, missing out. And and uh, on a scriptural basis too, like the word is very clear. Uh, you know, it's very clear about how we are to be people who are constantly seeking reconciliation in our relationships. And and there's a difference between... Another chance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and allowing someone to take the same position they were in when whatever that hurt was yeah. happened. You know, reconciliation is very different. Reconciliation is is rebuilding a relationship, even though the foundation may be different, that that relationship is still being built. 
Forgiveness is just recognizing that that you don't owe and that they don't owe you something else. You know, when 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 Jesus died on the cross, the forgiveness that we gained was that no longer would our sins be counted against us when we accepted him as that savior sacrifice. And and when we stand before the judgment seat and God goes to recount those sins, those sins will not be there because we have been forgiven of those sins. They're not being held against us. And that's what that's what forgiveness is about. And then reconciliation is taking that forgiveness foundation and then building a new relationship on it. You know, when you when you drive through Fountain Square and you see these houses that are built in, you know, nineteen twenties and they're just the studs and they're building a whole new beautiful home on top of that. Yeah. That's that's reconciliation in a nutshell. Is taking the old bones and building a new form around it. The bones are still there. Yeah. Louis is still there. For better or for worse. We all have those opportunities where we can allow our fleshly worldly nature to take over. Yeah. But the pursuit of reconciliation is a completely different pursuit. And that's what we're talking about is is finding that, that truth of forgiveness and then taking that truth of forgiveness and turning it into reconciliation. And that doesn't mean that you have to have the exact same kind of relationship that you had. But what that means is you have that you're striving to have a relationship at all. Yeah. And figuring out how that looks, you know. Yeah. Well, I just I I wanted to make sure that they know that they're missing out. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I love coming and hanging out with Louie. He's hilarious. Yeah. We crack up upstairs before we come down here on the yeah. mics, and then we crack up more on the mics. So. Yeah. You know that's why we always start so late because we're always just sitting here cracking up, listening to Louie <laughs> tell us true. all these jokes and stuff, it's man. True. It gets us going. It's true. <laughs> I mean, on my show, he's definitely going to teach some people this week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We got Professor Rodriguez on my show. All right. So if they tune into the Life of Libertarian, they're gonna yeah. they're gonna learn something That's from it. him. <laughs> yeah. While you're over there, you know, make sure that you're you're liking and you're sharing and you're commenting and. That's right. Uh, Subscribing wasn't I wasn't that's great but I, I really wasn't trying to tag it I was no, just saying like, man just do it for Louis, both you know both Louis shows puts it on that's it both shows that we if need I had him in a wig <laughs> yeah he yeah he showed up actually so before we we taped Alan's show and and, and I want to go to this because this, this is actually a pretty good story so uh, Louis Louis got here early because um, Alan's always late uh, <laughs> that's true that's true it, it, but it's uh, fair enough because he he, he works late so yeah. um, but Louis shows up and uh, he's got this wig on and and it's a big curly white wig and he says what's happening my soul brother <laughs> Sterling missed that one yeah yeah he oh, sure did stuff. and uh, i just i'd laugh and i and so i'm sitting there talking with louis but he hadn't taken the wig off so i'm trying to take him seriously because he's telling he's talking about serious things we're trying yeah. to talk about news articles and things like that and I'm like, I'm sorry, Lou. I just uh, all I can see is right is this <laughs> this, this other wig. person that you Giant that you're Ray Bob Bob Ross style <laughs> wig. Yeah, that's all white. Like that's right. his his crown of wisdom, as that's as it. you said, it's like it. a big apple. That's great. He's trying to keep up with Sterling's hair. Yeah, uh, beautiful gosh. locks. When I walked in and I saw Sterling's hair today, I was like, you let that get any bigger, man. Gonna, uh, uh, oh man, I just forgot his name. Dog on it. Never mind. Okay. Don't, don't linger on it. Just move forward. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, yeah, he does have luscious locks. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so Louis has this has this wig on, and I said I, I got the perfect thing. And so I uh, 
uh, during Christmas time, or just after Christmas time, actually, I bought these uh, glasses. They're um, they're, they're like Ralphie wears in, in Christmas Story. And oh, okay, I've, big Coke bottle style. Yeah, never seen it. <laughs> it's only the greatest Christmas movie of all time. <laughs> One of these days you'll learn that. Um, I'll hold you at BB Gun Another point. Callback. So, go find it. oh, there you go. You can do <laughs> yeah, that go, now. Go watch them. Yeah, go watch the Christmas episode. Binge all the episodes, by the way. Yeah. Um, over and over uh, on Rumble, so we get paid. Um, yeah. <laughs> share that's right share like subscribe comment wait we talked about that already didn't we yeah so we throw these glasses on louis and i said you look like a professor you look like a professor and and so we got to talking a little bit about it and when alan showed up he fell out laughing yeah oh, and that's uh, right. yeah and he's like i got an idea for a skit so it's it's going to be on his show and oh and, that's awesome uh, yeah yep. and uh i think in two takes louis killed it louis I, absolutely yeah. killed it that's great that's awesome but he keeps us laughing we love him so that's much. It. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Bring a lot of joy to us, Louie. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> missing helpful. out. You're missing out. Um, yeah, because that skit is golden. Hey. E- even if the rest of the episode falls apart. I, I mean, it's the whole reason I have to now make sure it drops. <laughs> right? like, usually it's pressure to write the episode and perform the episode and edit it. Now I'm like, I have to drop it because this has to be out there. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because like I said, if nothing else, uh, you know, you got a golden skit at the beginning, just like a golden voice across the street. That's right. And that's right. The way here. So. Um, so, Alan, you got any uh, patriarchy uh, stories? Yeah, Is that yeah, what yeah. I mean, I father have figure. Some. You know, sure for maybe. him, but yeah. I mean, I have a father figure. <laughs> it's called a dad body. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, hey, kid, I paid for that. I'll finish it. Yeah, thank you. That's how that's you get the my half of a cheesecake. My nachos, thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad we went to nachos and cheesecake on that uh, one, right dude, there. Sure, that's yeah, what it is. I, I feel like it's not the mac and cheese. No, no, it's too uh, good for carbs. Yeah, uh, body by cake, I guess. Yeah. That's right. So I'm happy you pointed out, kind of mentioning like what I do for a living, sort of. Um, I could dive into my whole dad and all this good stuff. We can talk about that and stuff. But really, yeah. honestly, because I'm always at work late, um, I have grown up around several generations. Of, I mean, not generations, but those steps, right? We're talking about each step from the youngest to the oldest and so yeah. on and so forth. And it's, you know, stepping into that role as an 18-year-old kid with really no experience, no knowledge, nothing, um, getting in the way of the old guys, yeah. right? The old guy's just being kind of annoyed, uh, just wanting me to do, like, the little things that they don't want to do. And then you gain a little bit of knowledge. And it's like how anything is in the world, I really think. It's not just not just the aspect of uh, generational gain or right. loss or, or whatever you want to talk about. I think it also applies to, you know, delayed gratification. You know, we were talking about entitlement. You don't want to raise that rotten fruit. Well, yeah, that part TikTok of that, generation. Ex- yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to nail a whole generation down. <laughs> I will. Call me the libertarian. Like, maybe that's where I'm, maybe that's where I stray. You kids get off my lawn. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Don't step on my grass, but we're good. <laughs> right. Uh, so don't I, get hurt. I don't want to pay more it, insurance. Exactly. If you if you get hurt on my lawn, you're dead, and they'll never find you. Just go next door and cry. <laughs> so so really, I mean, that's what I've seen. I've I've come up from that that low level, gained knowledge, got to the middling level there where I had someone under me who was learning from me and the old guys still didn't care about what I had to say, right? They were like, eh, whatever. Just get out of my way. It's been, get out of my way since day one, stay that way. Right. And now I've kind of ascended to a position where I'm not, I don't, I'm not an Abraham. Right. But I am. I don't want to admit it. Yeah. I'm with them. <laughs> They're still significantly older than me. It's, it's strange how time works. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 
but I've gained their respect and I'm teaching somebody under me. Right. Um, and that's just, that's neat to watch, you know, but also it's kind of sad. It's sad. Life is the cycle, the cyclical nature of life and death is yeah. kind of sad. Cause as you, you hit this point, you start to look at those people above you and you go, all right, when am I going to be there? Right. And when are you not going to be there? And right. that's not okay with me. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and <clears throat> when I made that reference, the first person I thought of was Larry. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm, what I'm yeah. dealing with right now. The second person I thought of was your dad. Right. Because even though I, I feel like even though they're two different people, they're almost cut from the same cloth. Oh, they poured a ton of knowledge into me. Yeah. Well, and I just mean their nature, like of, of the men that they are and have been in your life. Like they, they're just two guys who, when I think about the people that have influenced you on a wisdom level, uh, and, and, you know, I'll even throw Gene in there because I know that even, like, when you were working for um, your other company, Hinthorn, for a while, there was a there was a really close connection between you and Gene. And, sure, everybody gets frustrated every once in a while, and, and especially because Gene was dealing with a lot of other issues outside of the workplace that things got a little harder. But I do know that you're not the kind of guy who's going to stick around in a place where – you feel like you're constantly being disrespected. And even though you and Gene kind of had that playful tension all the time where he was giving you heck and you were giving him heck right back, I remember when he passed how much that hit you. Because Gene was always kind of like that granddad that you that you know what I mean, that you saw every day at work. You yeah, know, I mean, he, six days a week. Like you know, I would get into an argument about a commission on Friday and then Saturday after work I'd go to his house and set up something, some electronic device that he right. couldn't do or right. you know, or like if I needed something, he's like, I got a garage full of tools. You, right. You're more than welcome to come over. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> you know? and you guys always had that like that, you know, older uncle, grandfather, grandson, great nephew kind of relationship, which I always really respected. Uh, even though he was, you know, just kind of a, especially at the end of his life, just kind of a, a cranky old guy, but but cranky old guy in the, in the best way, not in not in a negative light, just right. like, oh, like in me. that loving, admonishing, yeah, like you, like, like you, you, or you're like, like where you're where you're going, <laughs> where you aspire to be. That's right. There we go. That's right. Um, you got a great start, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, when I was when I was coming up with um, the direction that I wanted to go in, uh, and you know. Just on a personal level, um, I started thinking about my grandfathers, my both of my grandfathers uh, that I knew, um, because my dad's dad actually passed away in 1976, 77. So my dad was still in high school when he passed. Um, but um, my grandpa Don and my grandfather uh, Oliver <clears throat> passed away. My grandpa Don, I was 10. My grandpa Oliver, I think I was maybe – Maybe 20, maybe. I may have still been in high school. Um, so the the patriarchal men in my life were like my dad and my uncles and stuff like that. Like, you know, my, my mom's cousins and my dad's cousins and stuff. Um, but my grandmothers, you know, on a matriarchal side, have always kind of been that as well. Like my both of my – my current and – only living grandparent right now, my grandmother, uh, Marilyn, is 92. That's and just a beast. She is. And Man, I, nothing holds that woman back. Well, off the mics, I'll talk to you a little bit, but keep her in your prayers, too. She um, 
she had she had to have an emergency endo, uh, endoscopy or endoscopic surgery. Did really really well. She's recovering really well. But keep her in your prayers, Marilyn Hunter. Um, but then my my other grandmother, my dad's mom, was ninety four when she passed. So it's like when I look at them and I look at how much wisdom and how much experience in life they had, I'm like man, they were, you know, they were my matriarchal Abrahams for for lack of a better example, yeah. you know, which which I think is is so incredible because I think as somebody who also cherishes my own heritage and my own history, thinking about what they went through and the men that they were married to went through in their life, you know, they had just, like, that is just such a colorful rainbow of experiences that they went through because they both lived through, you know, the the aftermath of World War One in the, you know, early part of the 20s and, you know, into World War Two and, and just just all of those things that that we read about, you know, from a hundred years ago. Yeah. It's just crazy to me, you know, that sort of connection that we have with people, you know, when we think about how in, you know, what are our kids' kids are going to be like when it's like, yeah, but that's literally 40 years away. Yeah. You know, well, all the changes that they've witnessed too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And, all, well, and, and it's crazy to think about, like, if we reach that far, yeah, right, Lord willing. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> it's a lot. Thought that was a punchline. It was a lot, a lot of years ago. <laughs> First Lord of all, I, we don't have enough estrogen to make it that far, guys. Yeah, well, at 90, 90 something, yeah. But um, now, just imagine all the changes that, that we're going to see too. I mean, yeah. over the years and, and all the things that um, we're going to have to keep imparting onto the new generation. That's yeah. One of the reasons why we have this show, because we have to have something that's out there on the internet forever that uh, instill these Judeo-Christian values on these young kids to something to look at and go, oh, well, I don't have to go into being a TikTok generation kid. I was waiting. I was going to give you something there. <laughs> as soon as you stopped, if you didn't yeah, mention it, I was yeah, going to tell us more about give me, the, give me the softball. <laughs> Louis, um got a story about uh, you know, father figure or... or being a brother, or uh, no, I don't experience any of that. Or about your mom? I mean, your mom being well, that my yeah, mother mom. was the type that she gave a belt, and I'm gonna take the devil out of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you had that, and eventually it worked. <laughs> yeah, I used to hide under the bed, and she poked me with a broomstick. Come on, come on! Finally, she got tired and just lift the whole bed up. <laughs> that was gone. <laughs> I knew you had a story. <laughs> strong matriarch makes it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I had a strong mother, but she wasn't much about teaching any much because. Oh, she taught you a lot from what we're hearing. Yeah. Well, what about yeah? And <laughs> you needed it. A few kicks in the you face. You said you were a bad kid. <laughs> yeah, you had it coming. <laughs> yes, I was real bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um. He never swept her floor after that. She never, <laughs> she never gave up on us. Yeah. She always been, stood there, even though my mother didn't know how to write and read. She couldn't get a job because she didn't know anything about that. So, we, like I said before, she was on welfare, and she was always hard on me. So, I guess I could look up on her like um, Abraham because yeah. she, she tried to keep me out of a lot of trouble. 
Yeah, she she had to play both roles. Yeah, so that's probably why she had to be there. she had to be tough because she had to play both roles. She pressed that coal so we could get a diamond. That's you it. Know what I'm saying that's so. it, man. Heat yeah. and pressure, and then and pressure. here you are. Yeah, making well, us laugh and giving us joy. I well, still I, remember when I played hooky. <laughs> I turn around, there she is. Oh my God! I'm in trouble now. You can't even enjoy the day off. Creeping oh, around everywhere. She's hiding behind one singular brick. It's like watching. It's like watching a Michael Myers movie. She's not saying anything, but I know she's there. <laughs> to be fair, Louis. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off had not come out to give you pointers yet, so... Oh, yeah, you gotta <laughs> yeah. have, like, a stereo going, and yeah. you gotta have something tied to the doorknob. Clammy and, hands. Yeah, man. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. You see kids, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch it. It's probably on HBO Max now, right? Not probably, or Netflix, yeah. Yeah, one of those. But uh, it's probably in the $5 bin somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, how are we doing on time, Sterling? He's giving us the... So, go ahead and... Launch into the politics do portion, it, I think. Uh, yeah, so uh, actually today, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, Louie's going to lead us in the politics portion. Um, he's got an article from the Washington Examiner. Yes. Looks like the Republicans are going to gain with Latino voters in November. Okay. House Republicans are expecting... Continuing that they can continue to cut in the Democrats' stronghold or the strong choke of the Latino. Other Spanish voters are starting to, the party will build upon the gaining team during the last election. There hasn't been a Mass of waves of Hispanics voting, moving towards the GOP, but shows Republicans seeing an increase in support from them, which can tip the House that it, um, uh, House. <laughs> What's that word? Um, house. Um, the majority. Majority. Yeah, the yeah, House majority. House majority. The ways in November election, the reason are that issues that are. Uh, get your microphone over there towards your mouth there, Louis. The issues that are less families is inflation, border security, and immigrants. On top of that, high gas prices, high um, food, and I guess they were they are opening up their eyes that Biden is not the man. Right, they're, they're becoming awake. Yeah, and we saw this before. I mean, even in the last election cycle, we saw a lot of uh, Hispanic voters who were stepping up for the GOP, who are leaning toward the right being Republican because a lot of those core values are there, right? Hard work, delayed gratification, taking care of your families, you know, those, those things that um, just kind of align with traditional conservative views. And so I, I've always kind of wondered that too, other than, other than the Democrats or people on the left, I should, I should say, or progressives. I, I can't say that without laughing. Um, 
they, they like to pound into the, pound this idea in that, hey, you don't look like those people. You look like this, which means those people don't want you to succeed. Uh, instead of saying, hey, your core values are this. You care about family. You yeah. care about religion. You care about taking care of – you care about keeping money in your check because you have people to take care of. Yep. And hard work is going to take care of your family, not social programs. Right. And so those things are – and we're finding out that that is the core value. And more importantly, a lot of Latino voters – a lot of Latino voters are finding out that Journey's joining us uh, in the program. Finding out where they align. I'm sorry, I got uh, I got thrown off a little bit by Journey. Yeah, she hit me with her tail. I was like, what? The show's, <laughs> I was the show's going to the dogs. I know, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, Lou. And a lot of Latinos. Uh, the reason they vote uh, Democrat is because they think that they're going to get. They really vote Democrat because it's for the poor, and they think they're going to be helped. By the Democrats, and right. which the Democrats never do. Yeah, they always they, they they claim to be for the for the less uh, fortunate, uh, financially less fortunate. The so, well, socioeconomic is the, probably the right term for that. Yeah, correct. The lower end of the socio end of socio economical scale. Thank you, Alan. You're welcome. <laughs> Pulling a Biden here with all this uh, stuttering. But um, I, uh, to go along with Alan's point, though, because we we just me and Louie had discussed this earlier. You you hit the nail on the head on everything that I was actually going to yeah. <laughs> uh, follow up with. So, but thank you for that because it, it just proves my point that exactly what you were talking about. Those are all the all the points that I was going to drive home because every time I've talked with anyone uh, Hispanic and they talk about voting wanting to vote Democrat, I say, well, well let, let me ask you a few questions. You know, what when you go home. What are your values? How do you feel about life? How how should it be in your daily life? Do you feel like a family is like a mother and a father and and children? And the answer is usually yes. Okay. Well, um, on Sundays, uh, where do you usually go? And, and generally, the answer is well, we'll go down to the Catholic church for mass on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even more. So religion definitely uh, hit the nail on the head again there. So these are conservative values. These are not values that line up with the Democrats, and they've told us time and time again. Even though Joe Biden tries to um, say that you know uh, spread the word or whatever, but he he never actually I've never I've never seen him crack a Bible on the on the uh, uh, on any dais I've ever seen him on. Um, he doesn't even hold one up. But yeah, those those values exactly what you said. Those values are Hispanic values. And, uh, and Hispanic values line right up with conservative values. Right. Why they, do you make your living or do you take your living? Right. And finances too. The idea of being able to save your money, being able to afford the next day. Um, not only that, but being able to, you know, once once you've got yourself established in a job and you've been working hard, well, I should be able to enjoy that money. But you can't do that with a Democrat in office. No, you can't. You can't work one job and try to survive. You have to work two or three jobs just to survive. Yeah, yeah. and then you're and you got to be a Democrat. Yeah, and then you're living to work instead of working to live. And, you know that. And what I think is incredible is the argument. And I think people on the left, I really think Democrats have realized that. You know, they see the numbers. They have to understand what's going on. And I think their only way of combating that is just to throw out that dreaded racist card, right? That's that's all yeah. they can do. It's the numbers are there. Everything backs it. You know, even their own statistics back it. So they just have to go, well, I mean, obviously they're racist, guys. Yeah. Obviously. Always the argument. And then when, when the when it's brought up, well, if the right's so racist, when, then why do we have 
this person, this person? Why do these people share these beliefs that don't necessarily follow your, oh, well, they're, they're placeholders, right? They're, they're just figureheads. They're just put there. They're put there. So they're not allowed to earn it. So wait a second. So people of color who are Republicans didn't earn their position there. They were given that title and that place because we needed figureheads. Yeah. Hmm. Who sounds like a racist in that comment? That's all I'm saying is like yeah. literally every they look at the numbers, they look at the statistics, and instead of just trying to find a way around it and try to prove that their way is better, they instead just try to degrade and say something that's not tangible. Well, it's also interesting, too, that it's a party of people who are willing to deal in uh, in, you know, as as the current generation likes to say, false truths, lies. Uh, it's 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 a party that also does the exact same thing that they are criticizing the Republican Party for when they look at Ben Carson and they're like, oh, well, he's just a placeholder. Well, that's really interesting because I'm pretty confident that he got elected – well, that he was chosen by an elected official into the position that he was in just like, A, every president prior to him would have done with any other candidate. Not only that, but earned his way – Earned his way there. Earned his way there and earned his way – into being what, one of the best uh, brain surgeons uh, yeah, pedi- in existence, pediatric neurological brain surgeon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what kind of a steady hand do you have to have to that do that? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a placeholder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is that this is coming from a party that is literally trying to find every opportunity they can to re-identify and to redefine identity to fill in their blank. Right. Tribalism. Hey, we need somebody to be. You know, we need somebody to be, uh, you know, have some sort of indigenous lineage. Oh, look, there's somebody who took a, you know, ancestry DNA test and they've got 0.02% indigenous. Well, they're native. Like, come on now. Like, why don't we just take the blinders off and call it truth and lies and figure out how to actually be a country of people that's not the progressive party or the divisive party, as I enjoy calling them every once in a while. Yeah, I like it. Uh, but but a party that is actually interested in being a people that are one nation, not a nation of a bunch of people who don't want to be a nation. And that's what I was going to say. You know, yeah, there was a time when tribes or people all lived in the same place. Yeah, it didn't matter what they looked like. It was yeah. where they were from. Now, granted. It generally looked like each other. Yeah. But you know what? We're all here. Right. We're all one tribe. And so why do we take why do why does that party specifically take the extra couple of steps mm-hmm. to try to produce tribalism inside of a country that should be all one tribe? What's really interesting about that concept too is that in the entirety of, of the world, there's an example in every culture where someone from a completely different culture was adopted into that culture. You see it. You see it in uh, Celtic culture. You see it in um, Jewish culture. I mean, if you just look at the the story of Ruth and Naomi, like Ruth was a Moabite woman. They were not even supposed to hang out together, and yet through her lineage, she married Boaz. And then later, I mean, she she you know where you go, I go; where you stay, I'll stay. Your God will be my God. There have been people throughout history in every culture that are an example of that. So how can we say, well, your tribe, my tribe, our tribe? Like, no. Like, there, there is no – there should not be a defining line to keep you and I 
or you and I or anyone else and I from being a people together. And they use the equator. That's their defining line. Yeah. How close yeah. our relatives were yeah. to the equator. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in school. When you come into the United States, you're taught one way. But then you have these people that come from other countries mm-hmm. into our America, and they want to change things in school. Well, that's not my God. Why should I pray to that God? That's not my flag. Why should I say the national anthem to the flag? They change everything. Why should I wear a tie to school? They change all that. But I don't know. Maybe it's because they live a different way and we lived another different way over here. You touched on something very interesting there, Louis. When you said when they took God out of school, that was the beginning of a decline that this country had never seen before. I mean, just that step right there. Because just the idea, there used to be a class, um, and I've been told by older generations, um, there used to be a class in school where you you went to Bible class. Um, And that was even in a public school. You could go, you went to Bible class, and you learned about the Bible. Um, I'm not saying there needs to necessarily be a Bible class, but I think God in school, prayer in school, needs to it needs to be a good cornerstone for for uh, young people, so that they have these moral values instilled in them at a young age. So instead that of this politics stuff. Yeah, instead of uh, um, going into uh, Pete Buttigieg's uh, husband's uh, pride camp. Whatever it was, Alan, do you know a little bit about that? Have you I, seen that? I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm surprised that you hadn't seen that. Uh, uh, and, my and apologies. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, so the uh, Pete Buttigieg is um, that's our transportation transportation secretary. Transportarian. I love yeah, that. Transportarian. That <laughs> yeah, um, he's doing a phenomenal job. <clears throat> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, laughable. Um, but yeah, his his husband such a weird thing to say, um, had ran a camp for young people, children, um, and he had them say a pledge of allegiance to the pride flag. Yep. Hmm. Now, if you're gay, you're gay. It's yeah, your life. We don't care. You do what you do. But um, that's not what the Pledge of Allegiance is about. It's about pledging your allegiance to this country, the United States of America, and if you feel like the United States of America is not your value system and you don't want the United States of America, no one told you you had to stay here. Yeah, planes and boats leave here every day. I will personally come and help you pack your bags. Even even in you know, post-COVID America. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Probably Why should mind. we change America to your values? Yeah. You know? we, we don't need lowest common denominator. We need to rise to the occasion. Yes. Speaking of rising to the occasion... <laughs> uh, our, our rhino governor, um, I call him a rhino because he's Republican in name only, uh, Governor Holcomb, he actually did something good this week. Um, so uh, not that he deserves praise, but he did something good. He, he uh, signed to adopt constitutional carry here in the state of Indiana. So we, we became the 24th state to adopt constitutional carry. This is via Breitbart. Um, governor Eric Holcomb signed legislation on Monday making Indiana the 24th constitutional carry. Uh, Carry state in the union. Yay! It's like we shall draw, like <laughs> draw and fire. They're still the trying to fight. They're fighting over it still. 
Yeah. I, I wish we I wish we had the little popper noises because that would have been that'd perfect. Be, yeah. That'd have been golden. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even the NRA, um, surprisingly, um, That's right. Gave him an endorsement, which I, I, I didn't see coming. But we uh, said we thank uh, Governor Holcomb, uh, the bill author, Representative uh, Ben Smalls. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, legislative leaders and every lawmaker who supported this landmark legislation. Um, that was the executive of the uh, NRA, ILA. I don't know what the ILA stands for, but it's a portion of the NRA, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but as executive director, Jason uh, Almond. Um but yeah, he signed it into uh, into law this week. Um, so now we can we can carry our pew pews. And I know that Alan uh, truly, truly enjoys that fact. Absolutely. Except for they're not going to give me a refund on my no. lifetime permit that I paid for. No, yeah. but they said to keep them in case you do travel out of state. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, you might still need it. We do get yeah reciprocation on those, which is great. Um, you know, and there's going to be a ton of people who are like, oh, that means there's going to be more guns in the street. Guess, guess what that means? Yeah, that means the bad guys probably have to be aware that there's more guns on the street, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it means less when crime to, when he comes to rob you. Right, he might get shot in the face. Yeah, because I mean, the fact of the matter is, you still have to qualify for constitutional carry, which is, I think, basically the exact same qualifications for applying for a carry permit. You can't have any uh, violent misdemeanors. You can't have a felony on your record. Things like that, like there are yeah. actual to get a gun. Yeah, yeah, there are laws yeah. on the books. There already are, there are you, right? already gun control laws on the books for you, and, and those things are if actually you are a criminal. To borrow what the Democrats actually say is common sense. Those those actually do make sense. If, yeah. if history yeah. of mental health, all that stuff. Yeah. It, those those things will stop you from getting yeah a gun. If not, the uh, FBI will. Yes, yeah, they don't. True. They don't believe in it. And and those who are anti-gun have ne- obviously never been to the FBI website. And the reason I say that is because uh, crime statistics happen to be on the FBI website. They do. Yeah, I look there all the time. Yeah, me too. And do you, do you have some numbers off the top of your head there, Alan? I or? don't. I don't. Okay. I don't. So, um, so to avoid numbers in, in, in any way, since shape or form, since I don't have them right here in front of me, um, so that YouTube doesn't kick us off for inaccurate information or misinformation or whatever they, would, they call it nowadays. They would never. Right. They wouldn't think of that like that. Um, or, or Facebook won't let you advertise because of you know disinformation. Right, but uh, never. that would never <laughs> happen. We live in a country with the First Amendment, right? Feeling like I look back at Sodom and Gomorrah because I'm salty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we're going. We got we're constitutional carry. Um, you, you threw me off my my rhythm there, Alan. I could give me a placeholder and get me back back to where I was. You I was were talking about talking about FBI statistics. Yeah, so FBI on. statistics. So the, the, the statistics show that. Um, when a good guy has a gun, the bad guys generally don't even act. Right, correct. Just like you said. And they definitely um, lose a lot more often. And yeah. And also, they don't even have to pull the gun. Off, more often than not, um, and we have, there's no way to actually um, get a handle on how far those statistics actually go and how many times it's been uh, a, a gun violence, as they call it, uh, has been stopped just by having a good guy with a gun because yeah. – more often than not, brandishing the gun is all that's needed. Or right. as soon as they see it. If because, they wanna, right, yeah. because the assailant will flee, and then the other, the person who is then trying to protect themselves is not going to pull it. Well, think yeah. about how many times. There's no need to. They're, they're at least not going to discharge it. Well, yeah. if you don't discharge it, there's no police report. So how would you exactly. be? Yeah. Right. There's no so, way to pull that bar down. So think of the concept, right? Guy goes, he, guy hypes himself up. He's going to go rob a gas station. He pulls up. There's a squad car outside. 
Okay, we know that's a deterrent. Right. Right. Probably not going to do it. Right. Okay. Imagine that same guy pulls up, no squad car, walks in, three or four people inside. Sometimes that by itself is a deterrent because there's witnesses, there's variables, right? He has he has a plan. His plan is to go in here and do this, but his plan doesn't go past A, B, money, right? right? So he walks in, he sees people. That's a deterrent, but not for everybody. What if he walks in and there's three or four people and all three of them have a sidearm? Right. Now. Yeah, well, if it's me, it's you, real. and Louie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just not triangulate, guys. Let's just stay on one side. We got yeah, this. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you come in, okay. There are certain levels of, of desperation. Yeah. They pull up, they see three, if they see nobody there, it's them and the person working. They're going to do what they got to do. If they yeah. see people in there, that might be enough of a deterrent. If they walk in, they see multiple people carrying firearms or in this particular city or state, for that matter, I should say. Yeah. Just knowing, mm-hmm. just knowing in your mind that these three people, any of them can be concealed. Yeah. Any of them can be concealed. So just pulling your gun to, to try to take that 42 and 42.50 out of the till could end up with you walking away with at least 75 cents in your leg. Yeah. Or your or, chest. Or worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right because ammunition did go up. Right. And, <laughs> funeral, and funerals cost a lot of money. <laughs> I was in a grocery store one time before I got my permit. And these two guys came in. One went to the back. The other one went in the front and he pulled out a gun. It was going to hold up the store. The guy that was online pulled out his gun and put it right on the guy's temple and said, you know, you're not. The other guy saw that and he ran out. So that'll show you that he saved those people from getting robbed. That's raising the FBI statistics website where you should go to do that research and find out about how guns actually work in this country. It's true. I know I've said it before. I'll say it again. Do your own research, please. Well, and and you know what? We're talking about gun safety and and that sort of thing. I will say this. If you are somebody who maybe is uh, nervous around guns, and and I don't think think everyone should own a gun. I think if you have no confidence in your ability to be able to wield a gun safely, don't take the responsible decision. It'd be like saying, you know, I don't think I would be very good at riding a bike. Don't ride a bike. Don't purchase a firearm. However, you're absolutely... Right, exactly. You're absolutely right. Places like there's a there's a place I don't know if it's a um, outside of the state franchise. I would assume so, but it's called Point Blank. Yes, they actually do a complimentary introductory pistol safety course. That complimentary? You can t- does that mean they just keep telling you you're doing a good job? Yes, they do. Doing a great job. They're holding right. that perfectly, and they don't even charge you <laughs> for it. I've never seen anyone bend their elbows that great. That was that fantastic. Well. The way that you discharged that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> So, so they do a pistol, like a, a 101 pistol safety course, and I um, now I'm questioning whether or not it's. I believe that their initial pistol safety course is a free course, and then they have other courses that only cost like 15 bucks. Yeah, they're 20 not. Bucks, yeah, most places it's not that much. And, yeah. And but a lot, I think a lot of uh, places that have a range. Yes. Generally, do have yeah. some kind of. Complimentary course, at least to get you inter- introduced right. into firearms. It's it's a, usually a classroom type setting yeah, where you can get comfortable not, with and it. And it's not a threatening environment. The people that are there have a passion, not only for firearms, but for people using them safely. That That's is right. the reason that they're doing it, because they want to know that when I walk in, 
if I have an interest in purchasing a pistol and I've never used one before and I don't know the rules of safe conduct with one, that they're not going to sell me something that I'm going to shoot myself with walking out of the store. You know what I mean? Like they want to make sure that, first of all, they want to make sure that the person who's purchasing it is going to continue to purchase guns there because yeah. they're not cheap to buy and they want to make money. Yeah. So they have to be comfortable. So they have to be comfortable with them. Yes, um, that's why it's good to go to a gun range yeah. and practice all the time. I 100%. go to the same one you used to go to all the yeah. time. 100%. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think that – uh, for someone who is not comfortable with owning but maybe has an interest in making sure that if they're ever in a situation where there is one around, they can feel more confident in that situation even yeah. if they're not wielding it. Something like a gun safety course, especially a free one offered by a range or something like that, no, I think a it's controlled good to environment. Start early as well and get yeah. younger people getting involved because the, the, the earlier they start, the more comfortable they can be, the, the more confidence right. they'll have as they get older. Well, yeah, they, they're trying to stop um, young kids from getting well, guns because they're too emotional. Yeah, well, you can you can teach gun safety without actually having a live firearm in the hands of, of a young kid. Um, you can. You, you don't can. have to. My daughter was six firing a rifle down the range. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Alan, I, so I have, you're a good I, dad, though. So you're teaching her the right way. Right. I walked in. I said, you're, how old does she have to be able to shoot it here? She said, they said, will she listen to your commands? Yes. Is she tall enough to see over <laughs> the table? I don't know. Let's go see the table. <laughs> and I think yeah. in, in a lot of situations that could that could call for it. But, you know, if, they're, if the parent is not comfortable with it, right. then certainly um, – yeah, start off with something a little, little easier, like maybe a BB gun or yeah. a, or a pellet yeah. gun or an airsoft, airsoft. something where you yeah. can teach. To, I, so I don't have, I don't personally own. My brother owns um, a few different firearms, uh, and he lives in in my house. Um, and I own like seven thousand Nerf guns. You can ask Alan; they're all over my house. <laughs> That's amazing. But one thing that I have always done, uh, and I haven't been very good at it with my six-year-old, so I guess always is probably a misnomer, but uh, one thing that I have um, always attempted and tried to do uh, was use, like, our. first of all, I distinguish the difference between a Nerf blaster and a gun. Yeah. Because my right. brother owns three guns. Well, that's huge. That's a good... That's I good. own seven Nerf blasters. First of all, I want to make sure that they understand, even if it's just a language. Those are seven difference. Nerf blasters that the government knows about. <laughs> <laughs> I like. Um, but uh, one thing that I've really tried to do is, even when we're playing with Nerf, to teach them the proper safety with the toys, because yeah. even if they're out there playing with their friends, goofing off and stuff like that, um, first of all, I always make them wear I eye protection uh, because I've literally been the parent who had to take my kid to Riley to have his eye checked out because he shot himself in the eye. Oh, with it's a callback to a particular movie. It could be the greatest Christmas movie of all oh, time. Oh, no, <laughs> <I'm> done. <laughs> uh -oh. try out, kid. But, but yeah, he, he shot himself in the eye with, um, with a Nerf dart, and uh, we took him, and he's fine. Vision is fine, recovered and everything like that. It was a very scary moment, but yeah. – but to me, that is another example of why it is so important because even after telling him multiple times, this is the barrel of this toy. You don't look down the – until you know that it is completely empty, you don't look down the barrel of any toy 
any firearm, period, yeah. ever, unless you're taking it apart. And it is, all, and you know for a fact that it is safe to take apart or yeah. safe to look like. Better, better be 100%. <laughs> yeah. Because honestly, like, again, being that guy, I got a call many years ago on Mother's Day from my stepmom telling me that my dad was in the hospital because he discharged his pistol by accident after cleaning it and had shot himself in the leg. That's another thing. You should always learn to clean your gun after using it. Yeah, Because I've seen a lot of people don't clean their gun and shoot, and it blows up in their hands. Oh, yeah. 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 Gun safety, yeah. gun maintenance, all Especially those if it's a Glock, it's going to jam every time. Mm-hmm. Every time. <laughs> I love getting those looks of hate from Alan. I don't know if I can be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that goes to show you my dad is the one who taught me pistol safety and, and gun safety. My dad... Wasn't minding his P's and Q's, made one mistake, and injured himself severely. Yeah. My son did the exact same thing with a toy, but yeah, it goes to show you that it's that it's extreme. Like, just because we're a constitutional carry state does not alleviate us from the responsibility of being safe gun owners and, and teaching people the safety of a firearm. And I think that that's where people get freaked out because they're like, oh, well, that means everybody's – no, first of all, that doesn't mean everybody's going to own one. Second of all, most of the people who uh, were excited about this already own one. Right. So you don't have to worry about right. new ones out there. <laughs> uh, and, and thirdly, you're absolutely right. Like the fact that people are going to be deterred from doing things that they shouldn't be doing because there could be fatal consequences because of that. Uh, so – to transition from your point there, Don, um, we're going to go right into our, our final and third article, and we've got a few minutes left here to do it. But uh, this was a big one. Um, the Hill's uh, morning report uh, said that uh, it, and this is from the Hill. Uh, tensions rise at the Jackson hearing. So we're talking about um, uh, Judge Kentanji Brown Jackson. She's a Supreme Court uh, justice nominee. Are, are you sure you're okay to use the word she? <laughs> she well, can. she doesn't know that she's a woman. She couldn't define it. Okay. She has to watch um, the episode tomorrow. Uh, Professor Rodriguez lays it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he'll give you a good definition. Uh, but Ju- Judge Kentanji Brown Jackson completed her second day, of th- this was on Thursday, of questioning by the Senate Judiciary Committee on, well, that was on Wednesday, rather. Um, so this was Thursday morning when this story came out. But uh, moving her closer to a confirmation uh, vote by. Full Senate in uh, coming weeks, uh, despite GOP attempts to score points during her hearings. Uh, the tenor of Wednesday's questions took a nastier tone. Republicans on uh, the dais as they relentlessly pressed uh, Jackson over her handling of seven child pornography cases during her tenure uh, at, as a district judge. We've got some electrical problems here going. Um, leading the, the, ch- uh, the charge was Senator Ted Cruz. There's a cruise missile going at her. I love that um, guy so much. He's so solid. Followed with Josh Hawley, uh, the two lawmakers uh, with presidential aspirations. Um, Hawley was among a group of senators who asked about the subject, including uh, Cruz and Senator Lindsey Graham. A little bit of a rhino there. Um, however, tensions were at the highest between the GOP and Democrats, with the latter accusing the minor, the minority party <laughs> of using the hearings as campaign fodder ahead of the midterm elections and the 2024 presidential race. Go, Alan. I know you got some stuff to say. What? 
Well, first of all, I want to just talk about the fact that the lights flickered after you said Kintanji. That's God. Like we were playing Jumanji. Oh, oh no. So there's that. Oh, no. We're going to get sucked into the game. It was a sign. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, you know, I love the fact that you made sure to make the woman reference when she couldn't define it. That was fantastic. Because um, she's not a biologist, right? No, right. That's not what she is. I'm not either, but. Well, no, but she had her phone in front of her. She could have pulled up Webster's Dictionary. I'm sure that the definition is there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Louise just raised his hands like, yeah. But she's a woman. Right? Yeah. She, she only owns little mirrors. Jeez. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, no, with her, it was it's like literally you're looking at this and it's like child pornography case, case after case after case after case. And Ted Cruz just lit her up, including one part where Ted Cruz wanted to speak. And someone stepped forward and was like, no, we're not going to let you speak because you're going to do nothing. But that was the chairman of the – Yeah, you're going to do nothing committee. but just rib her, right? And so he had the big whiteboard, and he's sitting there showing. It's like, I know this is going to be a ridiculous statement. It's not factual. Believe me, this is opinion. Uh, actually, this is conjecture for humor. Like mm-hmm. a tube. Okay. So really, I mean, you look at this. It's almost like – she's like, how many porno- how many child pornographic pictures did you have on your computer? Cool. One day for each. Like that's that's what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Not true. It's not yeah, what it yeah, was. Yeah, but, but it's that pathetic. That's almost yeah. equivalent to what – because um, I think sorry. The, the chart that <laughs> – You should be. Someone should be. You should be. <laughs> My gosh, Louie, get your electronics under control. I'm telling, I know I'm stuttering over here, but <laughs> we're trying to close this thing up. Yes. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> I've lost my train of thought once more. It was about how pathetic the uh, the sentencing was. Yeah. So the pathetic, pathetic, how pathetic the sentencing was. So the the original sentencing for one of these uh, yahoos that was um had child pornography on their computer. Um, I think the the minimum sentence asked by law uh, was like ninety seven months or something like. I don't. Know. It was it was it was a great amount of time, and and don't. Don't quote me on that because I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, but it was it was it was an exorbitant amount of time, and then she goes to sentencing. The DA actually only asked for like forty five, so half that time. So half time, and you know that any individual is going to only serve about half of that, right? If they've lot, got because a lot of states are two for one states. Yeah, quote Indi- unquote. Indiana is a two for one state. Quote unquote good behavior or whatever. Yep. Um, but then she goes as far as to say well, only three months. Oh, for a sentence yeah. for one of these individuals. And uh, I'm sorry, but in my book, um, you have child pornography on your devices, pictures. Say it. Uh, I'll go old school. <laughs> you should be hung in the town square. Oh, okay, well, it's true. Or a circle. I don't care what shape it is. Put yeah. it <laughs> Just uh, I'll, I'll bring my popcorn. We'll bring the nieces and nephews. We'll all witness it. This is what happens when someone is that stupid. Right. Exactly. I, I don't know if I would go that far, but I would. I but I'm but I'm at least it in should the ben, be. I'm in at least punished. in the Ben Shapiro camp. I, well, I mean, I'm an old soul. I'm an I'm an old man. Right? Well, I, I always look at way of looking at it. Go ahead. It was Biden who recommended her, so of course she's going to have well, some. He, he only she he had certain qualities. Yeah, he didn't recommend her on merit. He to quote him, he said, "I want a candidate that is a black woman." Oh, well, see, that's where you went wrong. She, but she can't define what she is, so we don't know. And that's the problem. Are you a woman? Well, obviously you don't qualify. Let's look back at your previous qualifications. Yeah. yeah. They should check the qualifications on her. And it should be merit-based. Yeah, meritocracy. That's what this country yeah. was founded on. 
And now we're looking at silly yeah. politics based around how close your ancestors were to the equator. That fine line. Yeah. It looked like a Looney Tune. Well, my question, my question to my uh, hypothetical, not even hypothetical, my my um, my question is this: the purpose of a Supreme Court judge is to do what? To be unbiased and to keep the law, to interpret the law, right? Yes. Yeah. They have to be able to define the law, but if you can't define something. As simple as the difference between a man and woman, then what right do you have in sitting down and actually breaking apart precedents and constitutional law in order to apply it where it may or may not exist? Like if you don't have a clean understanding of terms and definitions, can then you define law? On, on my end, I'm thinking even if – let's say – let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Let's just say she's trying to play neutrality, right? She's yeah. trying to be neutral in every aspect of her life. Right. So she understands. She just doesn't want to say the wrong thing. Right. Are you worried that, you know, just like everything else that's a tied, that's tied to this administration, that's tied to that side of the aisle, that it's all about virtue? Mm-hmm. That's not your job as a – as a right. justice. Right. You're not supposed to care yeah. about virtue. You're not Correct. supposed to care about their opinions. It's supposed to be unbiased. Because you interpret the law unbiased. Yeah. That's that yeah. is the point and that's the point for the Supreme Court in general. And I don't I don't get why you would even think that somebody like that would be qualified to hold that position. Regardless regardless what their ethnicity is, what their Sex, gender, whatever is, but in general, I just think that that is such, like that was the one thing when I saw some of the video clips and stuff like that. Like, how do you, even if you were to define it and they disagreed, you could just look at them and be like, "Sorry, I have a dissenting disi- or I have a dissenting understanding of that." Oh, because that's exactly what that's exactly what Supreme Court judges do. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, I you know what I voted against this, and this is why. Right. Okay, cool. Like in in my opinion, I've always been told and this is this is how I approach every interview, interview for the job that you want, not necessarily the job that you're applying for. If I want the boss's job, I'm going to interview with the confidence that that's what I'm going to do. Okay? So if you want a job as a Supreme Court justice, why are you not interviewing like you have the knowledge to be able to carry the weight of that position? Because right. once you're there, you're there. Like, they can't, you can't. It's a lifetime appointment. Yeah, it is a lifetime appointment. You can't get voted out, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. So, Katanji, if you want to learn the difference between a man and a woman, just watch Professor Rodriguez on <laughs> Laughing Libertarian. <laughs> He'll teach you all about it and how it works. Well, we have. We well, have. I'm confused now. I don't know who I am oh, or what I am. No. <laughs> we, put it, we put it on a whiteboard for you. It's the, Yeah. Just like Ted Cruz has been teaching what a whiteboard is, we went ahead and put the drawings and the words right there on the whiteboard for you. <laughs> I like to use the term dry erase board. That's fine. Yeah. But since we have <laughs> Professor Rodriguez, I felt safe having a whiteboard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
with that. What if what it would have turned into? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was, we, we should probably wind this Josh, up. Josh, you've lost all yeah. control, man. Yes. Why don't we bring us home with a prayer, sir? <laughs> yes, yes that, We need one. Yes. All right. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for uh, this time together, Lord God, that we... Uh, uh, Lord, that we got a chance to just um, talk and, and be candid with one another, Lord God, and, and to be honest and to open up our, our hearts to one another and, and uh, to anyone who is uh, sharing this time with us, Lord God, we thank you so much for that. Father God, we ask that your hand would be over this country, that you would continue to protect this country, Lord God, that we would continue to be uh, the United States of America under God, Father, and we just thank you so much for every opportunity we have to be able to share uh, what that looks like, Lord God, th- to be able to share the love of Jesus in people's lives so that they would know <clears throat> that they don't need, Lord God, to follow in the ways of the world, Father God, but they can be transformed by the renewing of their mind and the renewing of their heart, Lord. Uh, we thank you so much for uh, the blessings that you have, Father God. We lift up all of those who um, uh, are in our hearts that may need time uh, in recovery, Lord God, or may need time healing, Lord God, or Uh, whether it's a a mental, physical, spiritual, or an emotional need, Lord God, that you would meet that need, Lord God, whatever that is, that you would be the provider. Uh, And we thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, your truth and your word and your leadership in our lives, Lord, and we ask that you would just continue uh, to do so. Lord God, continue to show us your path and your will. And uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That prayer was brought to you by none other than the golden voice himself, Don Martyr. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I had tons of fun. Next to him, our good friend and <laughs> resident professor, <laughs> Louis Rodriguez. Thanks Do- for joining us, sir. Doctor. It's always a pleasure. Thank Doctor. you for having me. <laughs> he is the science. That's it. Science. <laughs> You'll hear the about golden that. Voice I am science. science. <laughs> <laughs> Host of Laughing Libertarian, Alan McFarland. Thanks for joining us, sir. Hey, thank you for putting up with me another week. <laughs> always yeah, a pleasure. Yeah. Believe it or not. And I've been your host, Joshua Cummins. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Okay, Sterling. Yeah, and Sterling. Oh, producer Sterling. Perfect producer. Oh, no, we forgot. He probably already clipped it. Did you already clip it? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now it's super awkward. (laughs) That's super awkward. And that's how we like it. All right, see you next week. See you. Bye. Bye.